Hey, it's Pastor Mike. A really small step that could be a really big blessing to our ministry and to the kingdom of God is you taking just a second to rate and review this podcast. You probably know how algorithms work. More people get to hear about this podcast and most importantly, hear about Jesus when you do. So thanks for helping us out and may God bless you today. And now on to today's episode. I mean, imagine it for just a second. If, um, if we all started a church and we, we wanted to convince the community that we love this book and that Jesus was the truth, but we actually didn't want to read and teach all of it, just parts of it, to get as many people as possible, what would we, what would we say and what would we skip? Uh, for a couple of weeks here, we have been talking about truth and we have been talking about trust. Because uh, no matter where you come from and what your background, I'm sure you can agree that truth matters. That false news, being deceived, uh, being lied to, all, all that stuff can mess with your life. But if you can find the truth, you, you know what to do. And to quote Jesus, if you can find the truth, it will set you free. And so we've kind of been like methodically searching for truth over the past few weeks. We've been looking in here. We've been looking out there. We've been asking, um, should I trust my truth? Should I go with my gut? Should I do what I feel is best? Should I trust their truth? Should I listen to my friends, to our culture, to my parents, to my professors? And what we've kind of learned throughout these past few weeks is that the answer is maybe, or maybe not. And it's good to take advice from people, and if our parents say this and our friends say that, but all of us too could think about whole groups of people that kind of strayed away from God's design. Lord knows that history has a thousand examples of that. So my truth, your truth, their truth, the answer has been maybe, but maybe not. And that's why every week we've been talking about this topic, we've come back to one verse. It's this really short thing that Jesus said. Uh, some of you memorized these words from John 17. He was praying and he said to his father, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If that's true, and this book contains the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, who better in this room right now to trust than, than me? Now, if you would ask God that question, should I trust the church? Uh, if you're taking notes in your program, here's what God might say to you to start the conversation. He would say, maybe. <laughs> Write that down if you would. He'd say, trust the church? Uh, maybe. And, and here's why. Uh, let's imagine for a second, uh, God forbid, that you are diagnosed with a, a very serious and deadly form of cancer. And you knew that it was treatable, they had caught it in time, but you needed like the best path to cure this cancer. My question is, if that much was riding on it, like your life or your death, whose truth would you trust? Would you trust yourself to cure it? I mean, it's your body. You, you know your body best, right? 
Would you just reach out to your three closest friends? Have they had a biology class back in, what, freshman, sophomore year? Would they know to do it? No, I, I have a hunch. If really your life was on the line, you would turn as fast as you could to a specialist. Right? You would find in your community, maybe your state, maybe you'd cross state lines to find the person with the most education and the most experience in that thing. Right? If there's someone who had spent like all of her college years and then all of med school, all of grad school studying how cancer works. And then after that, not, not just with a patient or two, but dozens, if not hundreds, for years, if not decades, I bet that you would default to all that education and all that experience because your life matters. Anyone see where I'm going with this? <laughs> all right, so if your eternal life matters, if the connection you have with God and your spiritual situation is not just for these 70 or 80 years, but it's for eternity, who should you trust? Yourself? Who knows your, your soul better than you? Your, your best friends? You know, they're pretty spiritual. They went to church growing up. Some of them have, have prayed passionately for years. Or, or, is it possible that you should trust a specialist? Someone who didn't just take a class or go to Christmas and Easter services back in the day, but spent years upon years upon years upon years studying this one thing and then ministering to not one or two, but dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands. And I realize I'm making some of you uncomfortable, but guess who in this room is near the top of that list? Pastor Michael. Yeah, he, uh, he's, he's older than I am, but... But the pastors, right? Um, I'm really not boasting when I say this, but after high school, uh, Pastor Michael and I spent four years in college studying the Bible. We had a very narrow, focused education. We, we honestly fear, like, if we weren't pastors, what marketable skills do we have? Because it was Bible, 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 Bible. We took semester after semester of Greek so we could read the New Testament in its original language and then semester after semester, year after year, learning Hebrew, reading it backwards so we could read the Old Testament in its original language. And after those four years were done, guess what we did? More school. Four more years of grad school, more Greek, more Hebrew, more Bible, more Bible. After that was done, I continued six more years to get an advanced degree. Guess what it was in? Bible. And every single day of my 14-year career, there has been one book that has sat on my desk and it has never been put on the shelf. It has never collected dust because it gets opened every single day, almost every single hour. And that book is, it's the Bible. And for the past 25 years, when I go home for my job, <laughs> I don't play soccer every day. I don't even talk to my wife and kids every day, but guess who I do talk to every day? the God who wrote this book. So if you're willing to believe that Jesus was correct, your word, Father, is truth, then, then maybe, 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 as controversial as this seems, of all the people in this room, you should trust me. Now, for some of you, 
That's super awkward. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But, but actually, as I look out at some of the faces here today, some of you know that that is not a scary thing. That is a beautiful thing. If you've ever had a church experience where there was a pastor who knew you well and knew Jesus well and brought the two together, you are not terrified by that truth. And I know some of you have had had wretched church experiences, some of you just boring church experiences, but a, a few of you here today have had a connection with a pastor just like that. In fact, I... I just think of the past few months of what's happened here in our church. I'll leave the names and the details out of it, but she comes into my office and she feels this, this great anxiety. And do you know what I didn't do? Turning the water with your feet and muddying the streams. I don't know. That's that's what God wants you to know. No, do you know what I did when she came in? That's an odd passage to turn to, Ezekiel 32. No, do you know what I did when she told me about her great anxiety? My brain instantly thought of at least three passages in the Bible that use the word anxiety. Could you name at least three? Psalm 94, Philippians 4, verse 6, 1 Peter 5. When anxiety was great within me, your unfailing love was my support. Your consolation brought me joy, Psalm 94. First Peter chapter 5, he said, cast all your anxiety on God. Not some of it, all of it, because God cares for you. In fact, I just remember from my education, the Greek word for cast off all your anxiety is only used twice in the whole New Testament. The other time, on Palm Sunday, when the disciples cast their cloaks off onto a donkey. Like, get all of it off of you. And I didn't even have to think about that because my education put it within me. Not because I'm better than you, not because I'm smarter than you. If, if you had had all these years like I have, you would be able to do that too. Then a couple days later, she showed up in my office struggling with the same sin that she did last week and last year. And um, some of you get this. After sin, after sin, after sin, after I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and nothing changes, she started to wonder, am I really saved? Christians are supposed to be repentant. They're they're supposed to believe. So if I keep going back to the same thing, am I really sorry to God or am am I just saying that and mouthing those words? She said, Pastor, what do I do? And my brain instantly said, Galatians 5, 17, Romans chapter 7. Romans 8, verse 1. And I easily explained to her, no, you you are absolutely saved. The problem is you have something within you, the Apostle Paul called the sinful nature, and it constantly is opposed to the Spirit. Look at this, in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, oh, did you know that he wrote Romans 25 years after becoming a Christian? 25 years in, the guy who writes half the New Testament says, why do I keep doing this? And that is the blessing of not doing this Jesus thing by yourself. (laughs) The Bible's a big book. It's a beautiful book, but it's complicated. It's hard to know where all those things are. But if there is someone in your life who can pastor you, who can shepherd you, who in one conversation can get you to the truth that will set you free, what a gift that is. I love how Jesus' close friend John puts this in 1 John 3, verses 19 and 20. He says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in God's presence. 
If our hearts condemn us, here's my favorite part, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now, before I move to part two, it is so exciting to me to think that some of you are like this close to finding the answers to questions you have had for years. <laughs> so, um, forgive me for this. Sometimes when I'm, when I'm out at a bar or I go to a wedding and it's late and people have a little bit too much to drink and they find out that I'm a pastor, do you know what they do? They put a sloppy, like, drunk arm around me <laughs> and they ask me questions about God. Right? Now there's no embarrassment. Now that the, the guard is down, I learn that people who have no connection to the church have tons of questions about life, about death, about Jesus, about forgiveness, and they're right there. L listen, um, you don't have to get drunk to ask me a question. I mean, some of you have wondered about forgiveness. You've wondered about depression, you've wondered about suicide, you've wondered if the Bible can be trusted, you've wondered about who Jesus is, and you've been asking your friends, you've been Googling it, but what you don't know is that you could just ask me. You could send an email, you could text, you could write it on your communication card, nothing. <laughs> Literally, Pastor Michael and I have a lot of education that we don't get to use. Nothing would make us happier than doing our best to open a Bible and answer your questions. And some of you are so, so close. And today could be the day. I guarantee you I've heard the question. I guarantee you I've thought about the question. And I can almost guarantee that I can find an answer to that question. Trust me. I'm a pastor. <laughs> so ask God the big question, should I trust the church? He would say, maybe. And you know what else he would say? If you're taking notes, write this down one more time. He would say, maybe not. <laughs> um, you know this, so I'll keep my words short from the headlines that you've read, from the experiences that you have had, that the church doesn't always stick with the whole truth. People lie and pastors are people and therefore pastors can lie. <laughs> In fact, the Bible is ridiculously honest about this. Uh, remember when uh, Moses was getting the Ten Commandments and uh, down at the bottom of Mount Sinai, people were literally building a false god, a golden calf. Do you know who was leading the way in building that idol? The high priest. The leader of the church. About 1,500 years later, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, is standing in flesh and blood. He is on trial, and a governor named Pontius Pilate says, I find no charges that stick to this man. I'm going to let him go. And do you know who leads the chance of crucify him? The church. And when the New Testament was being written by, by church leaders, do you want to know what even they admitted? Let me show you just one passage from Acts chapter 20. The Apostle Paul warned some pastors. He said, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth 
in order to draw away disciples after them. Careful, he said. From your own number, from within the church, people will rise up. They won't totally reject the truth. They'll just twist it. They'll distort it. And here's why, he says, to draw away disciples after them. Sometimes the church, to get popular, to get comfortable, to get rich, to get what it wants, takes this book and ignores about half of it. And so Paul said to those people, and he would say it to you today, be careful. You can't always trust the church. Uh, back in 2017, um, I had an opportunity to work with a media ministry called Time of Grace. Uh, some of you have heard of it. It's, it's on TV. It's on the internet, uh, printed materials, booklets. Um, I was excited and I said yes, but what, what I didn't know at the time when I said yes was how much Time of Grace knew about you. When I joined the, the team and I got to the first quarterly board meeting, um, I got a packet that was probably 50 to 75 pages long, and most of those pages look like this. Uh, don't worry about the fine print. Every single video, every single email, we knew. Did people like it? Or did they hate it? And as the guy primarily at our church who picks what we're going to talk about in this book, well, I can't do all of it, so I get to pick some of it. So which of it will I pick? The stuff people like? Or the stuff they don't? I mean, imagine it for just a second. If, um, if we all started a church... And we, we wanted to convince the community that we love this book and that Jesus was the truth, but we actually didn't want to read and teach all of it, just parts of it, to get as many people as possible. What would we, what would we say and what would we skip? Whew, there's probably a bunch of answers to that question, isn't there? I can think of, of two options. I can't figure out just yet, which one would be more popular? You can tell me after church. I think, I think I could grow this church much more than it is today if I said all the good things the Bible has to say to you. Like, if I would tell you that you're not an accident, but that God made you, which is true, he, he formed you in your mother's womb, you're fearfully and wonderfully made uh, you are unique by God's design. You're not like your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your next door neighbor because God crafted you in a certain way and he didn't just make you. He loves you. He loves the whole world. He knows you. You are not just one out of seven point whatever billion human beings on the planet. Not just a number, not just a name. He, he knows you. He adores you. Your name is engraved on the palm of his hand. That's true. And not just that, he, he loved you so much that he sent his son to forgive you, to save you 
to rescue you from all the drama, all the pain, all the anxiety, all the mental illness, all the, the grief, all the loneliness. Like this life is short compared to the eternal life he has for those who trust in Jesus. And that is absolutely true. He is working everything for your good. He takes all the drama, the bad stuff you wish you could skip and he flips it and he uses it to bless his people. I could say all of that and all of it would be true. And if I ended the sermon there, I think I could grow this church. If I never confronted you or challenged you, if I skipped those pages where Jesus said, you have to deny yourself because your heart is evil, you need to repent every single day. You need to give up what you want and start praying things like, Father, your will be done and your kingdom come. I think if I skip that, people would like it. Or, I actually think this might be a little bit more popular. I think if I didn't talk so much about you, I think if I just got really angry and went off on them, I kind of track the most popular podcasts in America. And for years and years and years, I've kind of noticed that some of the most listened to voices are the angriest ones. Oftentimes, they're very spiritual, very religious, and it's about those people ruining this country. And there's always a story, right? Some Hollywood celebrity, some college campus, some professor, the, the latest show, the latest whatever, and it's those people. I'm like, Jesus, we could start flipping tables. We could threaten them with damnation. We could talk about, this is the end times. Hold on. We're the good people. They're the bad people. And I, I think, I think people would like that. Maybe. But maybe not. Amen. No, that's actually not the end of the sermon. <laughs> I mean, we're kind of stuck in the same situation, aren't we? Like, should I follow my heart? Should I listen to my friends? Should I listen to Pastor Mike? Like, practically, God, it makes you wonder, God, what do you want us to do? You want us to follow what's true? Where do we turn? Everyone's debatable. Nothing is guaranteed. What exactly should we do? Well, if you care about the answer to that question, I want to share a very short story, one of my favorite from the New Testament. It's about a group of people who figured out what to do. Here's what happened in Acts chapter 17. It says, As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas, two early Christian missionaries, away to Berea. It's a city in Greece. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Why? Here it is. For they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They literally fact-checked one of the most famous Christians in history. And what did the Bible say about those people? They were noble. They weren't disrespectful. They weren't disobedient. They weren't mean. They had noble character because they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Friends, I can offer you no shortcuts today. The truth matters more than a cure for cancer, but it will take work to get there. And it's work that we will have to do together. 
Open a Bible, examine it, study it every day, and you will know if the guy who stands in front with all of his education is telling you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. No matter how long you've been here, no matter how old you are, the truth will set you free. So can you trust the church? Maybe. Maybe not. But study this book and you'll know. And best of all, you'll get to know God. Let's pray for his help. Um, Heavenly Father, you know my heart. Um, I'm sure it's easy for pastors to turn on a microphone and say they're preaching the truth, but that doesn't always happen. And, and so, God, if there's anything about me that needs to be corrected, correct it. If there's some tradition that's been passed on in my denomination that is not biblical, it's one-sided, it's out of context, rebuke me. Heavenly Father, if there's something I'm emphasizing that you don't, something I'm moving too quickly past that, that you do, Heavenly Father, readjust me. What happens here week after week is infinitely important. That's why you commanded in Hebrews chapter 10 that none of us should give up meeting together, but we should spur each other on, encourage each other, and best of all, remind each other of Jesus. Oh, this is complicated, God. It's just easier to assume the church is always right and it's easier just to bail on the church altogether. We long to walk that narrow middle road to do life together under loving, truthful authority. So God, help us. At the end of the day, all of us want Jesus. We want his unfailing love. We want his forgiveness. We don't want part of him. We want all of him. When he confronts us, when he comforts us, we want all of him. So Heavenly Father, help us. Um, I thank you, Father, for all the spiritual leaders in our past. Some of them have preached to half-empty churches because they love the truth. Some of them saw people turn around and walk out the doors because they loved you. And some of us showed up the following Sunday at a place that was holy and good and pure because there were courageous leaders. And so I'm asking you now, Father, raise up leaders just like that so the church more and more and more and more churches will be filled with the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We pray all this in the name of Jesus who called himself the way, the truth, and the life. And all God's people said, amen. Just what is truth? How do we know what to do if we're not even sure what's true anymore? In today's culture, we're told to be true to ourselves. But what if my truth is different from your truth? In a world drowning in personal opinions, half-truths, intellectual arguments, and blatantly biased news feeds, Jesus invites us to find solid ground to stand on in the unchanging truth of God's word. The world doesn't need Christians to win arguments on cultural issues. It needs us to share the truth of God's word lovingly because Jesus says that truth will set people free. We want to help you by sending you our newest book, Truth in Our Time. In this book, Dr. Paul Kelm, a contributing writer for Time of Grace, confronts common lies and half-truths, such as, it's my body, I can do what I want with it. You owe it to yourself to do what makes you happy. You have to learn to love yourself. Truth in Our Time is our way of thanking you for your financial support. Request yours when you give by calling 
800-661-3311. Visit timeofgrace.org. Write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201 to give today. Time of Grace doesn't end here. Visit timeofgrace.org and explore encouraging resources or sign up for a daily email and have everything delivered right to your inbox. Like our Grace Moments devotions, Grace Talks devotional videos, blog, and podcasts. Follow us on social media where you'll find a supportive Christian community. If you need prayer, give us a call and let us know what's on your heart. Thank you so much for your support. See you next week on Time of Grace.